Welcome to IDGen episode 9, where each week we track down and explore interesting stories, crypto hacks, mysteries, exploits, really anything that feeds our crypto curiosity. We dig in, we cut through the misinformation and hype, we're looking for signal and the noise, we bring it together for you guys. Yeah, excited to be here for episode number nine. We yep. are uh, unpacking another crazy week, but like this one stands out to me as, as one of the craziest. So I agree. This feels like we are up there. Pure chaos in crypto land. Yep, I guess we're used to it by now, but it's definitely interesting. I've been very excited to unpack all this stuff with you. I was, you know, sending you messages while a lot of this stuff was going on, and it's, uh, I'm excited to hear your deep dive after you really did some research on these. Yeah, it, it feels like chaos is the word of the week. This decentralized, I really think it's the first of its kind. You had this uh, decentralized looting mob. It's a little bit of a sensational title way to describe it but it was indeed a, a mob kind of looted the nomad bridge we had the mysterious draining of more than nine thousand solana wallets that one i i feel like that one really takes the cake on the chaos side but i don't know they're, they're both very chaotic uh by the time of this recording we have a pretty good idea on what happened we're fairly confident we know what happened now with the solana wallets, so we're going to talk about that um multiple other DeFi protocols were wrecked and a lot of enforcement news coming out on the US government side. Now, before we dig in to these things, I wanna take a quick detour into this idea. For our dedicated listeners, you might've noticed we've kind of changed up our intro theme. I love this idea right now. We're, we're kind of focusing on, we dig in through this, we try to find the signal and noise for you guys. There is so much misinformation on Twitter Yes, there's disinformation as well, which would be the intentional side when people knowingly submit it. But what I'm seeing and feeling really heavily right now is that a lot of it is misinformation. We have probably well-intentioned, in many cases, albeit blinded by their bags, folks sharing information, explaining what's going on. And we just have a, a lot of ideas. Everybody's trying to figure out what happened. And as a result, it's extremely difficult to find um, signal. And so we're gonna talk about some different tweets that I think are well-intentioned and uh, really miss though. They just, it clearly shows that they don't understand that there's a misunderstanding around information security concepts and crypto on the technical level and how and why some of these things take place. Yeah, I've definitely been uh, guilty of not vetting some uh, stories and tweets that I've sent your way. So uh, I'm probably uh, noise and you're probably signal in our uh, <laughs> in our friendship. So, yeah, but to play devil's advocate on that, I don't think it's as matter. Of, it, it, I don't think it's as simple of a matter of just vetting it. Right. Yeah. It, it's like you you see somebody with 80,000, 100,000 followers and you think, wow, you know, it's got all these upvotes. You think that they know what they're talking about or that it's um, it could be should be a trusted source. And how do you vet it, right? In this particular case with the Solana wallet attack, we just didn't know. And there was this super interesting, never seen anything like it. And I'm not just saying that because I have built a kind of survey feedback based platform, but you know, uh, we, we saw uh, Sam CZ Sun putting a survey out there 
in an attempt to collect information about what was going on so they could try and figure out the root of the Solana wallet hack. So fascinating stuff, crowdsourcing information in an attempt to suss out what is going on. So let's jump uh, into some of the weekly headlines and then we'll digress into the Nomad Bridge and the Solana wallet attacks. Yeah, let's do it. All right, so Reaper Finance on the Phantom blockchain got owned 1.7 million. They had their code audited, it looked good. They pushed a significant update to their code. They did not audit that. They didn't include that new code in their bug bounty, which sounds like they did have a bug bounty program with decent sized bounties, $200,000 if I read correctly, you could have earned for having spotted this as a white hat, which is great, except they didn't include that into the bounty. And uh, most importantly, the new code was not audited. And as a result, they were burned for 1.7 million. That seems like a theme about uh, projects who have audits thinking that they're bulletproof because they've had these audits and it gives them a false sense of security. Seems like we uh, touched on some of that last week with Audius. Yeah, uh, Audius, that's right. And then in Nomad, although I might disagree that it gives them a false sense of security versus like they just see it as a box to check mm -hmm. and then, you know, uh, they yeah, it's it's hard to say. Um, it would be really cool to interview the guy that wrote the Nomad Code, although something tells me or uh, he, he's not going to be available for interview anytime soon to talk about this. Probably not. But there's a, there's been a lot of uh, three-letter agencies uh, coming down on some, some crypto people. What else has been going on this week with uh, our, our favorite SEC? The SEC this week is accusing 11 individuals of running the Forsage Ponzi generated more than 300 million from users on several blockchains. Just, I hate to see this stuff. It really feeds the narrative that crypto is purely for Ponzi's. I definitely cringe for sure. However, um, you know, good to see that there is some enforcement coming down because I can tell you the people that lost those 300 million are probably not feeling too good. Next story, we've got two founders pleading guilty to fraud from a 2017 ICO called Dropple, scammed users out of 1.9 million, and they were sentenced to two and a half and three years in their crimes. Better late than never, five years after the crime takes place, but I still like to see some accountability happen for some of these scammers. Yeah, indeed. Um, we've got up next, a bill has reached the Senate that would classify Bitcoin as a th and Ethereum as commodities and put their regulation under the CFTC control. So ongoing discussion and important, very important to keep an eye on is these matters will definitely impact the future of crypto. Who will regulate and rule over crypto in the US, the SEC, CFTC? Um, number of different organizations. Everybody wants to regulate it. And uh, yeah, it, this is like a first draft. You know, we still have to pass the House and I'm sure there'll be a lot of revisions and things like that. But it's a, a step in the right direction that they're, you know, not calling them securities and calling them commodities. Could be. Yeah, I don't know a ton about this part, but I do recall reading last week that actually the SEC didn't want to. They didn't want uh, every crypto classified as a security because then they would have to rule. Then they would be in jurisdiction of every crypto ever. And that um, 
would be an extremely difficult thing to enforce. So I'm not sure it, it's, I don't know um, who wants to regulate those versus who doesn't, but it certainly seems like it's coming. Somebody should be regulating in, to some degree. I'm not a fan of the free-for-all. Up next, Texas-based mining firm Riot Blockchain, $9.5 million. They earned $9.5 million in energy credits after agreeing to temporarily shut down their mining operation during a recent heat wave and power struggle. So interesting. Yeah, so, so kind of them. Uh, from the initial research that I did, it looked like the $9.5 million is way more than they would have made from having their Bitcoin miners on. But uh, thank you, Texas government or Uncle Sam or whoever was giving them those credits. I'm sure they will uh, appreciate that $9.5 million in credits. Taxpayers, I, I'm just speculating. I don't know that for sure that that's the source of the money. However, this is really, people are already upset about Bitcoin in the environment, crypto in the environment, and I feel like a situation like this where they're oversubsidized for turning off. Wow. Yep. Crazy. That's from Bloomberg. Um, mini deep dive here. We were gonna go. There were so many good stories this week, and you know that I love the DeFi attacks, and I really those are the ones that I'm most compelled to dive into. We're not gonna spend a lot of time on this one, but we did see a flash loan attack take down the Nirvana Finance Protocol. Um, so what is Nirvana? I did a little research, not something I was familiar with before. A Buddhist state of bliss or an iconic 90s band? No. In this context, we're talking about the Solana-based yield protocol. And uh, I'm becoming in increasingly suspicious of any yield protocol. What is it they actually their service they actually provide. There's no free lunch. If they're offering insane APYs, there's probably a, a catch or a risk that most users aren't aware of. Absolutely. Um, in this case, it looks like there was a stable coin involved. So they allowed users to earn annual yields on their locked assets by creating and destroying tokens based on user demand as the ANA tokens were bought and sold from the protocol. Got some sounding like similarities between Luna uh, although I didn't see that there, it was a, an algorithmic stablecoin necessarily. So I guess if you've got the locked assets, then we wouldn't probably be a full-blown algorithmic stablecoin. However, um, there appear to be some similarities. And also, you know, with any type of flash loan attack. So again, flash loan attacks, uh, starting quickly with an overview of what is a flash loan. Flash loan enables anyone with a generally a very small amount of gas fees and a small fee to obtain an unsecured loan from lenders using smart contracts in place for intermediaries. So no collateral is required because the contract only considers the transaction complete when the borrower pays the lender. If the borrower fails to repay the flash loan, the smart contract halts the transaction and it is never completed. So these are new primitives, new financial primitives had not existed, there, there was really is, as far as I know, no way for anything like this to exist before DeFi. Yeah, I think you're right. They took out a $10 million USDC flash loan. They bought a bunch of these ANA tokens, which caused the price to bump up. They then dumped the tokens and it, they dumped all the tokens at the higher price. Well, 
you would think, hey, that would hurt them, but all they needed to do was get back their 10 million plus extra, and they were able to successfully bump the price high enough that when they dumped everything back in that single same transaction during the flash loan, that they netted three and a half million dollars and returned the 10 million on the flash loan successfully. So very interesting to look at flash loans in the context of being market makers, uh, sorry, not market makers, but kind of like um, providing equilibrium to the market. I hesitate to say this is good for the future of DeFi and things, but in cases like this, it's more of a, I see it kind of as like a, a, a new component of DeFi. And if these um, conditions exist such that flash loans can tip over a protocol, then I think we have to assume it's gonna happen. And yes, there needs to be resilience to this type of attack. And if we look at the evolution of red team tools, which are you know attacking tools in information security, we can certainly foresee a world where we have kind of bots, red team bots, so to speak, that are out trolling around, looking for the right market conditions and uh, automating flash loans. Yeah, it seems ever more common. I mean, we talked about the the Beanstalk flash loan attack on a few episodes back, and it seems like it's uh, every week I'm hearing about a different one. So uh, I hope anybody that was caught up in the Nirvana flash loan attack has uh, doing okay out there and um, hopefully getting back on their feet because it, I do not uh, envy the position that they're in. Yep. Yeah, I, I really, I don't want to sound unempathetic However, I feel like if you are playing with these DeFi protocols, you really, really, really need to only be using money that you're willing to risk. Yeah, there's no uh, there's no free lunch. If they're if they're offering you some crazy APY, there's probably some reason that it's extremely risky or shady or something. But you know, with crazy APYs, you got to ask yourself how are they doing this and why are they doing this? Yeah, exactly, and understand that there's a very good chance you're going to lose all. You know, that's that's just the way it is. And if you go in thinking something else, you're probably gonna be in bad shape. So um, this one's uh, a little different. We're gonna jump into the deep dives of the week. We've got two. First, the Nomad Bridge looted for 190 million by a decentralized mob. Again, I have to call myself out because it's I'm not totally sure that it's a decentralized mob. It's just a mob. I like that. I like it that coin term. Cool. It, it, it sounds cool and it gives me this visual, visualization. So I'm, I'm digging it. Um, yeah. I was, I was trying to find a, a nice acronym that kind of aligned it with like DDoS, you know, distributed denial of service. This is like distributed removal of funds, distributed looting. But uh, anyways, no, nothing hit there. So Hunt, tell us, um, what is Nomad? Yeah, Nomad is just a bridge that allows you to move assets from one chain to another chain. And they use blockchains such as Avalanche, Ethereum, Moonbeam, Evmos, and Milkomeda. Several of those I haven't heard of, but there's new chains popping up all the time and people willing to uh, bridge over to those for crazy APYs and things like that. So it's uh, it's another bridge, but I've been you know hearing about this on Twitter all week and like uh, really excited to kind of hear what your deep dive on this one is. Yeah, um, I as well. 
it took th- this one this one has been really fun to dig into and research it involves merkle trees and some things maybe we'll just start with the high levels first and i have to comment that of all the ridiculous and wild names for apps not just in crypto but i think because of the the flurry of new apps and protocols and things you we've seen a lot of crazy names but milkomita is uh wow milkomita that's like that's an interesting one maybe i'm not saying it right but looking at the spelling i bet you are like milkomita i don't know man so what happened anyways nomad this is up there one of the larger DeFi attacks. I would classify this as a DeFi attack, as a smart contract is the source of the bug and thus the vulnerability and the exploit. High level, $190 million in roughly two and a half hours. And so we saw an initial transaction or two uh, exploiting the bridge and then a swarm of copycats looting the protocol. So there was... um, before we jump in uh, to the the technical kind of breakdown and analysis, it's, I think, like super interesting to consider and think about how, okay, so we saw the initial exploit transaction. And I don't know how many followed that that were originating from the the attacker, the OG attacker. But then what quickly happened is that folks realized it was literally as simple as copying and pasting the data from the transaction. So you could you could have gone to Etherscan, you could have looked at these transactions and then uh, copied and pasted and replaced an address from the data with your address, pushed it through, and you would have been the new uh, holder of in cases millions of dollars worth of tokens and so essentially it be it, it went out of control and folks started looting the contract copying and pasting presumably we can imagine that um, certain private discords telegrams chat groups of different kinds somebody said holy shit, holy cow look we got this uh check this out all you gotta do is this and it just spread and, and yeah some people were claiming that they were some people being white hats and just taking the funds and that they were trying to steal them before the initial attacker could take them so they could return them later. Um, but we're not too sure exactly how many of those were um, malicious or how many of those had good intent of trying to return those funds. That's right. But we do know is that 9 million has been returned and that the Nomad Bridge, uh, the Nomad folks set up an address and, and publicly said, hey, if you were one of those white hats, feel free to send the coins back. I have some questions about maybe, you know, if some of the folks that looted it just got a guilty conscience and decided to send it back. At the end of the day, I guess it doesn't matter that much. You know, maybe, oh, this address was doxxed and I didn't realize it. So actually, I'm going to go ahead and send this back and pretend like I was a white hat. We can speculate. I'm not sure it matters too much, but super interesting to see that of the 190 million, about 9 million was sent back. So um, not not terrible, right? Yeah. At least some folks did. Uh, the The root of the exploit itself is uh, takes place in the Merkle tree and in the way that transactions are essentially processed going through the bridge. So as I understand it, you have, let's say, 
a smart contract on Ethereum and then maybe one on Moonbeam. And someone were to deposit coins on the Ethereum side, they would then receive those on the Moonbeam side. And so the mechanism that handles the approval of this uh, is based on this concept of Merkle trees. And Merkle trees are fascinating data structures. Going back, I think uh, this guy Ralph invented them in the 70s, I believe. And I don't think they were really widely used. They didn't have a ton of use until Bitcoin really um, came through as a key component of the data structures in Bitcoin and how the blocks um, are and how the transactions are saved in the blockchain is, um, you know, leverages Merkle trees. So um, emergence of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies has, I think, dramatically accelerated the use of Merkle trees. Really awesome concept. A lot of fun to work with um, as a technology person. We used them on the Gitcoin uh, airdrop for the GTC token. We had um, forked and slightly modified and cloned the process that Uniswap used. This is a common way to validate data on chain as you can um, it, it, it allows you to hold some really interesting principles. So like, let's say you just had a list of every transaction that was deposited on Ethereum on your bridge, you could feed that up into a Merkle tree and the, the top level hash of that could be used to prove that certain transactions exist in that tree. So it's an extremely efficient way to prove data on chain about events that may have happened elsewhere. So you really just need to have a valid Merkle tree that you trust and have the root of that. And then there's existing uh, libraries that make it super easy to prove that there's a leaf, you know, that a leaf exists on that tree. And so, uh, as I understand it, what happened here in the Nomad Bridge attack is that um, accidentally they allowed the zero hash as a valid root and with that it uh let's let's look at a sam cz sun legendary white hats um, explanation a routine upgrade marked the zero hash as a valid root which had the effect of allowing messages to be spoofed on nomad attackers abused this to copy and paste the transactions and quickly drain the bridge in a frenzied free-for-all now what quickly became a matter of discussion on this is as people looked through the audit what you uh, the audited contracts what you could see is that this the the section of code that was likely related to the exploit the bug you know the vulnerability in the exploit uh the auditors had called out and said hey this there you know you kind of have a problem here you should look at this and the nomad team replied and said yeah, we, you know, we, we don't really think that's a problem. And then the auditor said, we think you might misunderstand. You might've misunderstood what we highlighted now. Oh, wow. Yeah. And everyone, there, there was a, a quick push and a quick jump to put the, the blame, so to speak there. However, further analysis, you know, this is, this is one of those cases where it just, if you really want to understand what happens, sometimes it just, it, a lot of times it takes time. Right, and the everyone's jockeying for clicks and likes and attention on Twitter. So you know you don't. It, it makes it very difficult to get um, the the 
to the truth. Yeah. You know? People seem excited to be the first one reporting on it more than they are about being completely accurate. They seem very, the time seems more important to them. Exactly. And so in this case, you know, maybe it's a small distinction, but what it looks like is that that's not actually the case. It wasn't, the vulnerability didn't exist in the original code. There were some issues there, but that's not how this happened. What happened is, is that the contract was updated. So new uh, new code was pushed. It was written May 23rd. We can see the $190 million commit pushed to the repository. And then in June, the update was pushed out to the smart contracts. It was an attempt to accommodate for legacy proving of transactions, uh, as I understand it, and uh, you know, legacy proofs of um, you know these leaves on the, the Merkle trees, and so uh, with that update, it introduced this unfortunate condition where the zero hash would be considered a valid root. So essentially, you could just submit a transaction, and where that transaction was not actually a part of the Merkle tree, you could just. It would, it would look like it was and thus the transaction would be approved and um you're then just withdrawing funds like you had you know deposited elsewhere on one other side of the bridge so um one of the first questions i had was why not like take it all at once why why didn't the attacker take the whole 190 yeah that seems like breaking into a bank vault and seeing a million dollars in front of you and only taking out a hundred thousand like why and running yeah right yeah why not grab it all what, what's the deal with that yeah so i think at this point we can only speculate but the and you know which i i'm, I'm trying my best not to do really want to wait um, we may never know in this particular case, we, we might not know, but I, but the best speculation that I've seen is that they weren't sophisticated enough. Another, if we're considering the human perspective, another angle would be that, hey, maybe someone's out there messing around and they submit this transaction thinking, nah, this isn't gonna work, or maybe it'll work, I don't know. And then boom, they, they get the cash, like it worked. And same as last week with the Audius hack, they panic, right? Maybe they just, they're like, oh my God, like they don't, and, and in that moment, maybe they're not sophisticated enough, but maybe they don't, maybe it would take them a little bit longer to, you know, to get it all. So they just say, hey, let me, you know, do one by one smaller transactions that are going to kind of loot this thing. Maybe they were trying to fly under the radar and not do it all at once. Um, I guess that wouldn't make sense because if you, you're just going to do it all at once and if you could do it in one transaction... You would. So maybe it was going to take more than one transaction. Um, I don't know for sure, but what we do know is that it um, it led to this this mob. Other folks apparently noticed and just started submitting transactions like crazy, and the decentralized mob took down the protocol. Copycats uh, got well uh, compensated if if they get away with it. So. Yeah, that's uh, that. That was the interesting part to me is like you've I've seen these hacks take place before and watch somewhat in real time, but watching in real time just like a bunch of random different addresses kind of join in the fun was uh, pretty wild. It's that mob mentality. Yeah, yeah, totally. And you know, there's just so many interesting, interesting things about this Nomad Bridge attack. Um, the audit, you know, imagine if you're a black hat. These audits are public. You're gonna go look at the audit and you see 
this particular section called out as a potentially a problem, right? And so it's almost like a treasure map of sorts, right? It, it's like, where should I look? Let me go read audits. I mean, I, I feel like if you're a black hat, you should be out there reading these audits left and right. Hmm, calls out an issue there. It's, it says right in the that they didn't fix it. They didn't think it was an actual issue. Turns out it was something a little bit different, but it was in the same spot, right? So maybe, um, yeah. They're like highlighting the errors and almost making it uh, more efficient for these black hats to go in there and find these vulnerabilities. It's uh, totally it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, we need the public audit. So uh, it's just the way that this is going to be. Um, another interesting note that I found in the Erect article on this is that the collateral damage from the unbacked assets is severely affecting other chains that depended on Nomad. So your Moonbeam, your Milk Omeda. Avalanche. Avalanche. I bet Avalanche is all right. Yeah. Um, They're more established than the, the probably Moonbeams. Probably deeper pockets. Yeah. I don't know the TVLs and things, but yeah, they, they called that out. And this is yet another case of the DeFi dominoes, right? Where these different um, ones are connected. I loved that expression when we were looking at Celsius and those guys technically, right? They, they were centralized, so it's not the DeFi dominoes, but um, we are seeing it now in, in these cases, you know, where um, one hack doesn't just impact other protocols. So if you are a savvy um, I don't want to say attacker. I guess you could be like a financial observant and you see a hack like this taking place and you want to capitalize off of it. You might be thinking, hey, what other protocols are going to be impacted by this? And if you could get that edge, so to speak, just a little bit before the rest of the market realized it and head over to Moonbeam and act accordingly, you might be able to profit off these. And in fact, uh, I would suspect that if we poked around, we would find that there are people looking one to two degrees out um, when these attacks take place and making some profit. And are they attacking or are they just taking advantage of information that's publicly available to profit? I don't know. Yeah, and I don't think there's any uh, like laws or structure for, for this kind of thing yet because yeah, it's, it's technically just an almost an arbitrage opportunity more than it is, you know, a, a brute scam or, or robbing somebody. Um, yeah. So we could probably dig on that one for a while and we would have until, uh, what a day later. Um, yeah, we started to see the thousands of Solana wallets also in real time you know also you start seeing people posting about this and like wallets are continually getting hacked and people were advising people to uh, send their Solana to either their hardware wallet or a centralized exchange uh, because that was the only way that they were going to be safe and people were trying to figure out what was going on but it it took a while for the dust to settle and really figure out what happened here it did uh in, in you know, I, f I feel like a lot of a lot of these hacks, we we do tend to see and find a source pretty quickly, thanks to some of these these white hats that are just really sharp and digging in. In this case, it turns out that it probably the source of the issue was embedded into some closed source code and um, closed systems. So let's take a quick overview and kind of understand what happened and then we'll we'll dig into 
Um, what we we have we're pretty confident at this point that we know what happened, so we can talk about that. And it is something that's near and dear to my heart. So I'm I'm really excited to uh, extrapolate a little on the the nature of uh, where this this hack appears to have um, originated. But uh, high level, you want to just tell us a little bit about Solana. Sure. Yeah. If you are not familiar with Solana, it's another layer one blockchain. Um, some would call it an Ethereum killer or, you know, something that's a competitor to Ethereum. Um, and most people would agree that Solana has sacrificed some decentralization and security in order to provide extremely high throughput. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a, a big part of this ecosystem. It is a very popular layer, layer one. It's got a whole community and it's got a lot of people who are um, very into it. And the cool thing that I noticed about the community during this whole hack was it, normally there's some tribalism between chains and Ethereum people and Solana people, but you saw Ethereum people kind of heading to the um, rescue and trying to help people on the Solana side figure out what happened with this hack and trying to help them, you know, limit the damage as much as they could. And so I like to see that tribalism get thrown to the side for a little bit. Yeah. And maybe to, uh, to go in the opposite direction of that sentiment. Interesting that people would call them an Ethereum killer considering that, uh, yeah, their Ethereum is very, very alive and well. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, no, I, I feel you there. And so layer one blockchain, what happened here? One of the things I love about this one is just the mystery and intrigue of like, you know, funds just start vanishing. Okay. Maybe love is not the right word. I, I don't mean to, um, certainly to imply that for the folks that lost their coins. However, um, from an information security perspective, this is super fascinating, right? You just see these these private wallets, these wallets, and the coins are just sort of evaporating. They're just, they're not evaporating, they're disappearing from the user's wallet, right? Getting sent out. And uh, at the end of the day, we were talking about more than 6 million worth of various tokens. Now, for perspective, because we were trying to cut through the, the headlines and the misinformation, uh, there are more than 25 million active Solana wallets and addresses, or maybe not active, but wallet addresses in existence as of this writing. So we're talking about, you know, about 9,000. So a very small fraction of the total number. Um, however, that didn't and doesn't prevent uh, panic from coming out. And also, we just didn't know what was happening when this, you know, we, we didn't know when it was going to stop. Some folks were saying, you know, is this an issue with the root with Solana itself, right? Because you you saw um, the the way that it ended up playing out is that different wallets were impacted. It wasn't just one wallet, and so you know there was speculation if it was a, a problem with Solana. Pretty quickly, people jumped out and said, "No, you know, based on the information we have, we don't think that's the case." Um, Looked like August 2nd, 11 p.m. UTC, Seoul and USDC just started mysteriously being transferred from wallets. One of the other components I found especially interesting and relevant here is the massive host of wild theories spreading across crypto Twitter. I have not been uh, shy about my dislike of Twitter and the way that information spreads there in previous episodes, in this episode, this is a perfect example 
when you have that battle for attention, for likes, everyone wants to be the one that gets, people want to be the one to get that information out first. You know, not everyone, but a lot of folks. And when you do that, uh, it, it led for quite a bit of speculation. And when I say speculation, I'm not talking about tweets where people say, hey, this might be the case. You have a lot of people with a lot of confidence in their tweet saying this is what happened and they start pointing fingers and big audiences too we're not talking people with you know 20 followers talking people with hundreds of thousands of followers and they're not they're they're just so confident in their wording that they used and i was uh guilty myself of feeding you some uh tweets that you kind of quickly dispelled which i appreciate you kind of making me look a little more constructively at these and not just because somebody's got 150,000 followers do i need to you know take what they say is this this could be true you know you you pretty quickly dispelled some of the the things that I, the claims that i sent you yeah and we're gonna i, I want to rip into one of those i really want to want to dig in and before we do that let's let's talk about what happened so one of the the benefits you know we do a weekly show and in this particular case uh I think I, I so the high degree of confidence we have kind of arrived at the, um, the the most likely source of the issue. So whereas a lot of the other articles and reports here in the last few days were still kind of like the mysteries open, uh, it looks to be, um, according to CoinDesk, um, an on-chain sleuth would later reveal that Sentry, a third-party event logging platform connected to the Slope Wallet, was the issue. And so, um, let's talk about that. This this one hits very close to home for me. I actually published a blog for a company that I worked for that did logging years ago, eight, nine years ago, I think, on this very topic. And so, what I had noticed when I was digging through logs is that the administrator in, uh, sorry, the uh, CFO of the company probably in haste it's happened to all of us you go to log in and you accidentally type your password into the username field and that caused his password to get logged in clear text into the logs so as someone that had access to the logs i also now had access to the cfo's um, root master password um, for his email and for logging into the machines the network everything so um this is, as it turns out, not totally dissimilar in what was happening is that when folks were generating, I don't know 100% of the details of, of where exactly these points were, but we can, we can definitely speculate in a very reasonable way that when a mnemonic phrase was generated uh, in the wallet, <clears throat> when it was copy and pasted in, let's say you were opening your slope wallet on your, your iOS phone and you had securely saved that into uh, password manager you copy it from your password manager directly into the wallet and you import that phrase um, it some one or more of those points this sentry logging software was logging that and it then sent that up to a cloud um, kind of interface and so okay so i have some really interesting ways i want to speculate on this but hunt would you tell us about the tweet that you saw related to this or what it said maybe even yeah it was from i am dc investor and it was um 
making some accusations that you know they were claiming on their website um the slope wallet that uh they are a non-custodial wallet and that slope uh slope wallet does not store your uh, nomadic seed phrase um and he was highlighting this and then you know kind of calling them out for saying you know he was basically calling them a liar saying basically right here you guys are saying you don't store those seed phrases and you know speculating that that's exactly how this attack went down but you're kind of saying that it it didn't go down like that yeah okay so i pulled it up because i want to i want to get it right because i want to I think it's important to get the exact wording. So dcinvestor.eth, I am DC Investor on Twitter, uh, 208,000 followers. There's a special place in hell reserved for closed source app devs who lie about how their apps work and how your information is stored, especially private keys for wallets. This is absolutely outrageous and everyone in the Solana community and entire space should be appalled. <clears throat> and then he goes through and he highlights from the Slope Finance documents where they say that the slope wallet does not store your mnemonics, so keep it safe. And they claim to be a non-custodial wallet, which would mean that they don't have access to your keys. So, okay, why do I take objection to that? It's because it's not that simple. First of all, I'm not gonna, first of all, I just wanna say, I'm not trying to let slope off the hook for this, but this is, this is not, I can almost guarantee you this is not a lie. Okay. What happens in these cases is that somebody is saying, uh, oh, we've got this bug we're trying to work on. Um, hey, you know what? Uh, bump the logging levels up for a little bit and I need to look at this, that, and the other. And they forget to turn it off, right? And so now Sentry is collecting um, on user phones. It's pulling back these logs and feeding it up. Maybe, uh, so maybe it was an accident in that regard, right? Um, again, that doesn't, that slope is still responsible here it doesn't remove blame but to say that this is a lie uh and closed source code well the, the logging application you, you know i guess you would see if the code was open source you would you would see the hooks for a sentry in there to be doing the logging um I, so i guess if it were open source probably there there would be a way you would see that the, that the mnemonics were getting logged. However, um, so, so I think that's valid criticism. And I think that's a really good reason to not use closed source wallets. I mean, I that's that's a really simple takeaway here. But the idea that like this is a lie and that there's a special place in hell and everyone should be appalled. I mean, this is it's just ridiculous. Like I I would wager a fair bit of money that this was a mistake there. Um, OK. Let, let me jump back and say, perhaps it was not a mistake. It is also possible that this was intentional and someone enabled logging of this with the intent of logging these mnemonics and stealing them, right? But in, in both of those cases, this is not a matter of slope lying. I, I can, I just, I guarantee you, they didn't know. They, they were not aware or someone was incompetent. I, that is... Um, I, I would say that and, and I would wager on, on that being the case. So the, the big takeaway, though, for me on that and then the reason I wanted to talk about it is because it's this is just prevalent across Twitter where information spreads so rapidly and opinions and people, these influencers have these followers and it's like now everyone's got their pitchforks out. And I'm not saying, again, that you shouldn't be uh, frustrated or angry with Slope and that they're not at fault, but 
Um, we do now have a high degree of confidence. We can say that this is where, so these mnemonics came from. Think about this, Hunt. If these mnemonics were being logged, uh, now what, what you want to do, if you're doing a forensics investigation, go back and look at every mnemonic that's been logged in that century deployment. Okay. And then go and look at the first one, look at exactly when Sentry started logging these mnemonics. Can you find a mnemonic that didn't get robbed, right? So this attacker, um, depending on how they got access to this information, right? Uh, this will be interesting to see. And I have a feeling we will get more information. Slope doesn't seem to be very cooperative or forthcoming on this. So it might be a while or maybe never, but when you really start to now break down and understanding if this was an intentional backdoor, so to speak, did someone enable this level of logging in order to to do this uh, in order to get access to this? I don't think so. I mean, they only got six million dollars, and I say only, but like six six million from nine thousand addresses. If it was if it was malicious and and pre planned, you'd think they would do a little bit better than that. Um, and it was kind of happening in real time and slow. But you know, that's just my layman opinion yeah and and so not necessarily right because if they <clears throat> okay let's say uh there's a common uh, another common one could be insider attack and i realize i'm i'm kind of now just speculating which is is, is <laughs> as bad as a lot of the, the folks on that i'm <laughs> going against on twitter um however i'm going to follow this one through so if it was an insider attack someone got a job at slope and they were like whoa if i enable this I'm going to see all the mnemonics. So now they enable it and they get to this point where they're like, oh, okay, I've got 9,000 mnemonics. Like, should I go now? Should I launch the attack? I do believe that I noticed one address had like three and a half million or something in it. So it would be really interesting to see when that address, when the mnemonic for that address appeared in the logs. And if it was recent, you might be able to deduce that someone was sitting and waiting you know, and saying, damn, like, when should I pull this off? Should I, should I wait another 10 months? Because, um, the, right. The number of wallets that they have access to is going to be dependent on probably when Century started logging this. So, um, super fascinating stuff. Other really interesting elements of this. I already mentioned Sam CZ son dropping the survey out there and, uh, in an attempt to collect information, I screenshotted the whole survey because I'm. Uh, if it goes down, I'm really fascinated by the questions that were asked there. I can post that in the show notes if, if there's interest. Definitely. Um, there was an attempt to dox the hacker by sending his wallet an NFT with an image link, and uh, the thought being, I guess, somehow that when he looks at the image, they could log his IP. That sounded more like psychops to me and not legit, but just something to spook the hacker because like anybody could look at the NFT, right? So um, I don't know. Uh, another one, I think you were tracking this one was the the white hats that attempted to DDoS. Yeah, I love that. Because one of the criticisms about Solana is that it goes down frequently from uh, DDoS attacks. And so they kind of used one of its greatest weaknesses um, to help protect from this this vulnerability and, and hacks. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, and I admittedly didn't get a chance to read up on that, so I don't know if they were successful. In, but it's interesting to me that it, it, it would 
you you can just ddos an address like i didn't i don't know how. i thought i was under the impression that they ddos the network in general just try to slow it down mm -hmm. to be able to slow him him or her the hacker down from being able to quickly withdraw these funds that they were stealing wow yeah okay if they if you if it's you know if, if you can just I guess I don't know if it was easy, but if you could just trigger DDoSs on Solana that easily um, or that quickly. So, so from a high level, <clears> if <throat> you had your own keys and you didn't use a more centralized wallet and you had it in your ledger or your Trezor, would you have been exposed to this hack or would you have been totally safe? Totally safe. That's, um, that's a lesson. In a, in a hardware wallet scenario. Um, because you never... The, the the mnemonic itself by design it never can be logged anywhere yeah right so um yep so that would have been good i loved um the the no coin haters and people who are you know this, they've had a heyday this week i've kept my close eye on on them as usual and uh not your keys not your coins they were the, how did they flip it around um uh, they flipped it around because it's like, yeah, if you <laughs> not your coins, not your keys either. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, um, you know, and I mean, truthfully, really, I, I just, I think the biggest takeaway for me here is don't use closed source wallets. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of this with the Celsius being a more centralized, you know, yield provider and, you know, DeFi holding up that the, the decentralization and open source does matter. And yep. I think people are learning that lesson the hard way. One other topic I want to same topic, but one other point I want to jump into for a quick freestyle conversation. I'm going to read a tweet. Um, I'm sorry, I just pull off my glasses so I can't see Sandeep uh, Polygon. Uh, it's included in the uh, in the show notes here. My heart goes out to the Solana community, members who lost their life savings on the ongoing attack. Stay strong. These are the growing pains the entire blockchain industry has to, has to go through. These moments, if handled correctly, lead to a lot of strength for any ecosystem. <clears throat> it it makes it makes you understand that there are real people behind this and it's you know interesting to talk about and research and you know speculate on some things but there are people who lost their life savings in this attack and so it is uh it's very real it is real and that is no fun and i think that if you point fingers at him and say oh you should know better than using closed source wallets and these things that that doesn't help and it just there's no way that we can't expect every crypto user to be advanced in InfoSec. Like the system does need to mature. However, I'm gonna say this, and I feel very strongly about this. Uh, I I very much disagree with this tweet. Uh, this doesn't have to happen. This is not good for crypto. Um, there is only a perfect world where this could even be handled in quote correctly. Right. Um, I as I'm thinking about this yesterday, I was on a, a plane and uh, listening to a podcast security podcast. They mentioned that there was a SQL injection flaw in a major 
of all things security platform. This is 2022 and we are still seeing SQL injections. SQL injections are relatively uncomplicated. They, they can be complicated, but for the most part and conceptually, they're not complicated attacks. They have been around for years. There is countless documentation on how to prevent these um, from a coding perspective, from an engineering perspective. Um, yet to this day, we still see these. So to say that these growing pains, uh, if handled correctly, will, will build strength in the ecosystem based on everything we've seen in the last two decades of information security, that is just not true. It's just not. It, this, this very same thing will happen again. Somebody is going to log sensitive information and it will get abused. The idea that because this happened once, uh, everyone in crypto moving forward is going to learn from it. It just doesn't work that way, right? Um, and what what I see in this is hopium. I see someone who has a lot of crypto and they're looking for reasons to believe that this is good for crypto. And what I think is that this type of misguided banter, it really actually harms the overall ecosystem by perpetuating this false narrative that these hacks are good for crypto. They're not, they're not good. This should have been avoided. And uh, the true narrative here for me, okay, I'm, I'm jumping between, we've got Solana and the Nomad thing, but if we're looking at Solana, right? If a, if, if talented information security professionals, hackers, whatever, had been working on that wallet and for that team and company, somebody would have spotted this. That's what needed to happen. That's all. This is not like there's not there's really nothing more to it than that. Yeah, uh, that reminds me of a tweet that I would have probably sent you and be like, see, Zach, this is this is kind of good. And, you know, like I'd be like, hey, the people who got hacked, maybe they're going to learn the difference in, you know, closed source and open source and, and why that matters. But, you know, I do see your point of where you're coming from. I think the the there might be something some compromise in the middle there that, you know, it's not good for this space by any means, but it's also um, I think it's still a learning experience. Um, is it going to stop it from happening again? Probably not. But I do think that there are a select group of people who will think twice uh, where they're, what wallets they're using and, and if it's open source or closed source. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. So there, yeah, some strength, the things will improve slightly, but I think the net, what, what I guess I will say is that the net, um, result is overwhelmingly negative in these situations. Of those 9,000 people, you're not going to get 9,000 people that go, I'm never using a closed source wallet again. They're probably saying, I'm never using crypto again. Yeah. And some of them are really hard pressed. Although it's easy to sit here and say, don't invest what you can't afford to lose. Holding coins in a wallet, you know, a lot of these folks maybe were really trying hard to do the right thing. And you know, uh, of all the uh, the wallets that you use, Hunt, do you know which ones are closed and open source? I don't. I'll be honest with you. I don't know if Trust Wallet is closed or open source, and I've used that quite a bit. I'll be honest with you. When I first got into this space five years ago, I could not have explained to you the difference between open source and closed source. See, there you go. Right? And and I, I do mess with this stuff, and I don't know. Like, I know, I don't think MetaMask is open source, is it? 
I would hope so. I would think you of all people would uh, be the guy to know that, but that kind of raises my eyebrows that you're a security focused guy and and pretty smart about what you do with uh, your personal security and when it comes to your coins and your everything. Okay, so they are. Yeah, so that's right. I, I know there were parts of it. I think they changed the license, integrates its open source code under a new proprietary license. There have been some questions, I think, but... Um, this this was a, a wild week. Do you is there any way that we have another week that tops this? Like I, I keep thinking that like when the Terra Luna thing happens, like it can't get any crazier than this. But like I do think that this week might have been one of the the wildest, craziest week when it comes to you know crypto and hacks in general. Yeah, and you haven't asked me the question about how I would rate these. Yeah, let me ask you that question. How would you rate these? So scale one to ten, where ten is um complex fascinating what how, what's the scaling work here? yeah 10 is like a very elegant hack where you as a security guy look at and you're like damn that person's smart and one is like a brute force not that smart you know somebody kind of stumbled into it yep so the solana um three or four we don't know yet again if it was intentional insider or someone just had access to the logs and noticed somebody at century Potentially, we, we don't know some of those details. However, um, not not like just snagging private keys from a log file. Yeah, depending on how they got it in there, maybe some elaborate exploit was used to enable that logging and give them access to the system. But I highly doubt it. And even if it was, um, well, okay, yeah. If if if, we, if that comes out, we could bump that up. But for now, I'm going to put a three on the Solana Nomad with the. Mm, Nomad, I'm going to give a six okay. because it it isn't super complex, but it is a proper DeFi attack. And um, I, don't, I don't think it was like all that complicated it, in and of itself, right, to, to recognize that zero root. Um, That's very interesting because if you had asked me when this was all kind of coming out, I would have guessed the Solana one was a nine. You know, it just took so many people by surprise. It seemed like, how the hell are they getting their mnemonic, you know? So uh, I'm really interested to hear you say that. And, you know, once you do say that, it all kind of makes sense to me. And I'm like, yeah, like it is only a three or four. But uh, that's why I'm glad we uh, record these episodes and get to dive deep into these topics. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, and we'd start our new segment on most creative ownage of the week. Yeah, do you, do you want me to tell you about mine? Yeah, let's hear it. It. Uh, I was looking at my OpenSea and uh, somebody airdropped me an NFT, which is not that uncommon. People spam weird NFTs all the time. But the weird thing, and I don't know how this hacks work, but then I got an offer for 1.1 ETH for that random uh, NFT. And I basically, you know, there's no free lunch. This doesn't work. I looked at the NFT collection. There's never been a sale. The floor is zero. So I know there was some way that if I accepted that, they would drain my wallet. But uh, I don't know how or why. Huh. So you got the 1.1 ETH offer on a token that you had been airdropped. On an NFT that I had been airdropped, yep. And you didn't accept it because you were sus. You were suspecting something <laughs> you, was up. Maybe I just turned down a free ETH, but I just you know you see a collection with zero sales, and it's some you know somebody airdrops something to you, and then somebody offers to buy it for one point one ETH. Just uh, it didn't make sense, so I uh, did my best to not let greed get the best of me, and I just uh, let that offer expire. 
Interesting. I might have to dig into that one. For me, I got. Uh, did you have you gotten any of these Twitter DMs with the wallet key spam? No. Okay, so these are fun, and I actually first saw this years ago. Believe it or not, I, I swear to God, Mr. Beast was was doing this type of thing uh, more as a joke. In in this case, it's a it's a scam. So, um, what happens is you get I got this DM. And on Twitter, and it says, hey, I'm new to crypto, and I have uh, $300 in USDC in my wallet, and I can't figure out how to send it. Can you tell me how to send it? Here's my private key. So the the thought is that you're supposed to look at it and go, what? This guy's an idiot. He just gave me his private key. So you load that private key into your wallet. And you look and you go, sure enough, there's $300 or maybe more and some token. But the problem is, is that there's no ETH. So you think, wow, I'm going to steal this this idiot's money. But you got to have the gas. Right. So then you go, all I got to do is send a little ETH in here, send like five bucks worth of ETH in to get the, the coins out, and then I'm good to go, right? Well, you send the ETH in, and it's a smart contract, and it has a function. It's a smart contract wallet. And it has a function that automatically, immediately siphons off any ETH that's sent to it out to another wallet. That one's kind of funny because they're maybe taking advantage of the greed that you might be trying to take advantage of that person and steal from them. So it might be getting people who are uh, more of the black hat world than the the white hat. I agree. It is pretty clever. When Mr. Beast did it, so he would he he pretended to accidentally drop a private key into this chat channel. And people were like, what? Like, that's crazy. Like, dude, Beast, like, what are you, what you, know, are you doing? You know better than this, Beast. Yeah, exactly. And th- this was not like a, a big a big chat or public place. So he was just kind of messing with people. And uh, so, so that's the first place that I had encountered it. And then it's interesting to see it years later now coming around on uh, as a proper scam. And I wonder if, if they we're targeting like maybe you're not getting it because if, if you look at my um there's some, maybe something about my twitter feed that leads it more towards me being an engineer or developer and so they're they're trying to target you know people who are like oh yeah i look too much like a normie yeah yeah like you maybe wouldn't be like you like because when i showed it to you you're like dude what's i don't get it <laughs> right <laughs> yeah so maybe it was targeted um you know mostly at engineers and stuff so um crazy chaotic week thank you guys for tuning in to id gen yeah this is a lot of fun i look forward to doing it again with you yeah uh have a great weekend everyone hunt you as well and you know uh hope to catch you back here next week let's do it again peace peace